Well, it was 63 years ago yesterday uh, that an African-American woman in Montgomery, Alabama, uh, refused to give up her seat on a bus uh, for a white passenger um, who uh, was standing. And consequently, Rosa Parks was arrested, uh, brought to jail, and eventually posted bail. Uh, But that action, that moment 63 years ago, Um, set off a boycott of uh, the bus system in Montgomery, Alabama, that one year later actually led to the end of segregation um, in that particular community. Uh, Beyond that, uh, Rosa Parks uh, became a symbol. She became the start of a movement um, that was a, a key element of the civil rights Movement. Sociologists have looked back and uh, tried to figure out what made that moment so significant. Um, and, you know, in a lot of ways, she wasn't the first one to be civilly disobedient. In fact, even in Montgomery, Alabama, there had been in the weeks prior um, other people who we don't know the name of who didn't, uh, who were civilly um, speaking out against uh, injustice, speaking out against prejudice. Um, and they didn't make the history books. So sociologists looked back and said, what was different about this moment in history? And what they discovered is that Rosa Parks was unique. Uh, Rosa Parks was very active in her local church, and so she was involved in lots of different groups. She was one of those people that you can picture who was in lots of different social circles, was at every activity that happened throughout the week. Um, She was connected not just like some of us, where we only connect and know people that are just like us, that are similar to us, that are in a similar, um, you know, enjoy certain things, that have a similar kind of tendency. Uh, Rosa was one of those social people who just kind of was friendly and everyone loved. And so she not only uh, hung out with people like her, she hung out with people of different socioeconomic statuses, people who had more resources, people who had less resources. She did lots of work to help the poor. Um, And in a very segregated South, she also did lots of work to connect with uh, people outside of her her racial demographic. Uh, There's a story that was shared in a book that I was reading um, that for a lot of, you know, the wealthier families, they would have these debutante balls. And Rosa Parks was so well-loved and also a gifted seamstress that she would volunteer to come and make the girls all look beautiful as they they were on their way. And so when Rosa Parks was arrested... It wasn't just her problem. It became a problem that was uh, felt by an entire community. And so those around her uh, rallied a cry, um, and her act led to the start uh, of an incredible movement. We're in a series right now called The Rest of the Week, uh, which is asking the question of Christians, um, who are we every day of the week uh, after Sunday. There's, there's got to be something more to church than just coming on a Sunday, attending a service, singing some songs. Um, what are we called to? And today I want to look at what does it mean for us as a church to be on mission together? What does it look like for the church to be the start of or a part of a bigger movement? Maybe you've been sitting out there on Sundays and you've been asking, is this all there is? Uh, is there something more to uh, what God calls us to than, you know, just getting a get-out-of-hell-free card? Uh, is, there, is there something more than uh, just coming and singing songs and enjoying uh, services and then kind of going back to our own thing and doing, doing our own, uh, you know, whatever we enjoy doing? Last week, Wally uh, preached, actually, I believe, a very challenging message as part of the series that talked about injustice. 
Now, we as God's people are called to speak out against and to be agents of God's process of restoration. Uh, And sometimes we think about mission, how we're supposed to fulfill the mission of God, and we think only about evangelism, about sharing about, uh, about the fact that Jesus came to save us. And that's absolutely true, but God is also in the business of restoration. So how do we respond as Christians to something as big as injustice? When you see something isn't the way that it should be, you see a system that is broken, how do we respond? Do our hearts break anymore when we see needs that are represented in our community, in our, in our world? And even if your heart does break, do you feel like you can make a difference? You know, I believe right now in the United States, uh, politically and ideologically, we are so polarized. People are in their camps, and it seems like, how can we find a middle ground? How can we actually do something that makes a difference? And you may be thinking, I am just one person. What difference can I make? Well, as we move through this issue, and as we look at God's word today, what I hope is that there's a significant truth that I want to start with, and that, and that is that you are not meant to do it alone. The church united um, is what is the power of the movement of God. As a church, we gather on Sunday mornings, we hear from God's word every week, we sing songs. Uh, this time of year, we sing Christmas songs, which I absolutely love, and these are all wonderful things. Sundays are important, but with that said, we say this often, But church is more than an event that you attend. Church is more than a building. Church is a people that you are a part of. A phrase that we like to use around here when we talk about this idea of church as an identity is that we are a family by choice. Ideally, we are a group of believers who live and experience life just like a family. God's people are called to know of a divine love that leads them to love one another as brothers and sisters, to treat each other as children of God, to know each other well, to know each other's stories, have familiarity with one another's strengths and struggles. God's people are called to speak gospel truth to each other, to build each other up. Ideally, God's people are on mission together. And you see this throughout the scriptures. At the beginning, uh, God creates Adam, and he says, one of his first statements to man, it is not good for man to be alone. So he creates Eve, so Adam would have community. Uh, God gives identity corporately to the people of God throughout the scriptures. And the Cliff Notes version of the story of the Bible is this, that we need to be in community. You cannot flourish in isolation. In fact, real community is essential. Real community is beautiful. But I'd be lying if I said real community doesn't require a lot of hard work. You can experience, uh, you know, all these things that we've talked about as far as knowing each other and uh, building each other up on a Sunday morning. But uh, for the most part, you can't experience it in its fullness. It involves relationships. Real community involves time. It involves vulnerability It requires awkward moments. I think one of the hopefully most helpful pieces of advice that I give to new group leaders as they're starting um, is a little mantra uh, that says, embrace the awkward. And it was especially true when I was uh, in in, uh, leadership over middle school groups, because there's a lot of awkwardness that goes on at that age group. But there's something to relationships of saying that we need to be willing to put ourselves out there to connect with other people. 
you know, here at Community Church, uh, one of the hats that I wear is being um, overseeing a, a, some amazing over 46 community groups here in this church. And we believe that community is represented, or this is lived out most specifically here in our context, in the midst of a community group. But beautiful community often goes hand in hand with messy chaos. Uh, you know, there's a lot of leaders who start new groups, and I'll usually check in early on in their group and see how it's going. And in this first couple of weeks, like, things are going great, and they love it, and it's wonderful, and they have stories of getting to know each other, and they're spending all their time on their icebreakers, and it's all they, they want to do. But a month or two into it, those walls start coming down. People start opening up. You start annoying each other a little bit. And a lot of times they say, this, is, this seems to be a lot harder than what it was at the very beginning. I didn't realize how messed up people are, uh, which is just a unique truth that we're all messed up a little bit. Community is tough. Uh, it, it's uncomfortable at times. But I'm telling you today, it is essential. Friedrich Bonhoeffer was an author of the last century, a fantastic uh, individual, and he said this quote that I love on the topic of community. It says, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. God puts people in your life on purpose. He has something that he wants to accomplish uh, on their behalf through you. The rosy view of what we dream community could be uh, is aspirational at times, but when you allow it to happen, it's absolutely fantastic, and it's part of God's plan for you. Uh, you know, Jesus himself didn't do ministry in isolation. Like, we look at the life of Jesus throughout the Gospels, and he was all about community. And Jesus ultimately is a picture of what God is like in the world, and this principle of community is what he taught to his disciple. Uh, just a disciple is a word a lot of times we throw around, but uh, thinking of a disciple as a follower, a student, uh, an imitator, and that each of us as disciples are meant to be imitators of Jesus. And so there's an old ad campaign from the 90s uh, that was Be Like Mike. Do you guys remember this? I used to share this all the time because it always makes me think of this uh, with my, my students. And 10 years ago, like everyone knew the reference uh, I was talking about this week, like, younger generation has no idea. But this is Michael Jordan, right? Be like Mike. Uh, I think for us, we're called to be like Jesus. Now, I took way too much time creating this graphic on Tuesday night. <laughs> but that's the idea for us as disciples. We are meant to be imitators of God. Uh, I don't know if Jesus ever played basketball, but I imagine he'd be pretty good. Uh, give Michael Jordan a run for his money. We are meant to be like Jesus. That's who we are. Uh, and the process of discipleship is beginning to think, to act, and to operate, operate like Jesus. And Jesus had a three-dimensional approach to life. This is one of the ways that we talk about discipleship here at Community Church. Uh, and we can see this throughout the Gospels. If you have your Bibles with you or your phones, uh, we're going to be opening up to Luke chapter 6, verse 12. And this will also be on the screens. Um, and this is just one passage, one example, um, that looks at this three-dimensional approach that Jesus had in the way that he led, in the way that he um, showcased how to live a proper life to his disciples. And so starting in verse 12, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. Jesus had a unity with the Father that we can't even begin to understand. Like, him and the Father were one. 
Uh, we can't ever hope to attain that level of unity with God. Uh, but still, with that level of direct connection, Jesus constantly retreated away to pray. Uh, there's a quote by a, a guy named Mike Breen that I love that says, Jesus would inhale the Father's presence so that he could exhale the Father's will. Jesus had this upward dimension of constantly connecting to what is it that God the Father is trying to tell me, teach me, that I can be a part of it and bring it in this world. Continuing in verse 13, when morning came, he called his disciples to him and he chose 12 of them, whom he designated also apostles. Jesus had this inward relationship with 12 guys. And uh, if you've read through the Gospels before, these were guys that weren't qualified. They didn't have any kind of accolades. They're not ones that we would have assumed, uh, you know, you'd pick to be on the dream squad for Jesus. Uh, but he invests in these guys. Uh, and, you know, if he were talking to any CEO or strategic thinker of today, uh, you'd probably say, Jesus, why don't you take these guys through a three-month crash course, right? Like, give them all the things you need to know, uh, send them on their way, and then you can take another cohort through, like, in your years of ministry, That'd be way more effective, but that's not the way that Jesus does it at all. He not only takes these guys around with him where they can see him speak and teach and uh, where they can watch him lead, uh, the disciples spend all their time with him. They, uh, they sleep together, they, uh, they eat together, they do everything together. Uh, they have this inward connection, uh, and I imagine the picture of what they were like is they didn't just uh, kind of learn or, or glean wisdom from Jesus um, they were friends. They had relationships. Continuing down to verse 17, Jesus went out and went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured. And the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Jesus had this upward connection with God the Father. He had this inward relationship with his disciples. And he had an outward relationship with the masses. Jesus was constantly, uh, you see, people were vying for his attention. People were uh, wanting to come by the multitudes to hear from him. And uh, it says throughout the scriptures that his, uh, his heart broke as he look out, looked out at the masses, he took time to teach and also to heal. Um, Jesus had a big heart when it came to those who did not know him. And so the way that we talk about discipleship, there's a principle that we use a really simple shape, and it's a triangle. And we say that for us as imitators of Jesus, we should have this upward connection with God. We should have this inward relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. And we should have this outward relationship to the world, or to those that are apart from the church. When we talk about community groups here at the church, um, this is one of the ways that we say every community group is unique. They study different things. They, um, they have different people that make them up. They have different uh, phases of life that they're met in. But every group should have this upward sense of spending time connecting with God. They should have this inward sense of connecting with each other, of, of praying for each other, of being vulnerable and opening up about, uh, about both weaknesses and strengths. And then we ask every group to also have this outward push to the masses. Now, as you think about the way that groups exist, or the, maybe the communities that you've been a part of here, uh, one of the things that we try to keep really simple is that uh, we hope if there was one thing that you did besides coming on Sunday mornings, it would be to be in a community group because we believe that discipleship exists. Discipleship happens uh, when people are able to spend time together focusing on these three 
things. Now, you may have been part of groups in the past um, that have had maybe a tilted uh, lean towards different directions. And you can see even from this, these three, dimensionals, uh, three dimensions are all essential because if you leave one out, uh, you miss out on the full picture that's there. For example, if you have maybe a, a lack of inward connection, there's a lack of relationship, and instead you, you so, focus solely on reaching the lost and, uh, and in connecting with God, what you end up with is an event-driven Christianity. Maybe you picture some of the big, uh, you know, big events, the big arenas that are filled with people, but there's not a lot of depth. There's not a lot of push. On the other hand, let's say that you have a, a really strong out mission, a really strong sense of wanting to make a difference in the world. You have strong relationships, people that are come along with you, uh, but you are avoiding this sense of actually listening and hearing and trying to receive what God wants to do through us or in us or amongst us. What you end up with down here is nothing more than a social activism. Or maybe you're doing some good in the world, but you're missing the point, and you're missing out on the most important actor in our lives as Christians, God up above. Uh, but actually, if I were thinking through groups that I've been a part of in the past, groups that I've been a part of um, you know, throughout my time in the church, um, the dimension that is most often missing, simply because it doesn't have a title or it doesn't have a definition, it's this outpiece. And what you end up here. If you have this upward connection with God of trying to, to learn from his word, you have this inward relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ, but you have no focus or emphasis outside, what you end up with here is a closed community. I think, honestly, a lot of people in America would look at the church, and this is probably the, the biggest criticism that they would lay out. What, where is your outward push? Where is the, the mission that you want to put out there? And so what we've asked every single group here in this church to do is to have a missional focus, to have some way that they are thinking outside of themselves. And in the midst of this series, as we think about uh, what does it mean to be a not, not be a Sunday-only church, uh, in the midst of community, that is where we're able to have an incredible impact. You know, I was teaching this actually at the beginning of this last uh, season to some of the group leaders, and uh, if you're a group leader out there, you've probably heard this from me a million times. But my, we get into a, the car afterwards, and my wife and I are sitting there, and my wife's an incredible strategic thinker. Um, she's constantly pushing me and, and challenging me in a, in a really good way. Uh, and she says, you know, Aaron, uh, how are we doing in these three rhythms? And at that particular moment in time, we had been launching the ministry season, the boys were getting back in school, we were busy, we were flying by the seat of our pants, uh, we weren't practicing that focused life uh, that's a part of the, missions, uh, the mission of this church. Um, and so, you know, out of that conversation, what we started doing is in our kind of personal time every single week, uh, we started saying, okay, how can we be less about me on a regular basis? And we started writing in our journal, um, this week, what are we going to do that's upward focused? What's one thing that we're going to do um, as a family um, individually, it's going to connect us to what God is trying to say to us. Uh, and that might be represented in devotional times or in, in times together. What's one thing that we're going to do that's focused on other brothers and sisters in the church? Are we creating margin in our calendar to invite people over for dinner um, or to connect with other people? Are we in a regular um, you know, group time to be able to, to meet that need? And then also asking as a family, as we plan out our week, do we have an outward piece do we have something that's not about ourselves? Do we, do we have something that is seeking to have an impact in the world? And what we found is that, uh, just full disclosure, uh, we have not gotten it right 100% of the time. 
but by doing this habit as a family, uh, it's allowed us to be a lot better at providing balance. I mean, what it does is it, allows, it takes the me aspect of our lives and it brings us this state of saying, okay, this is all outward we focus. This is all community driven. Um, Jesus uh, was all about this three-dimensional approach in the way that he engaged the world. Uh, and that is what he has been demonstrating to his disciples. He comes to the end of his life and he's, get, he's died, been resurrected. He's giving his final instructions um, and in Matthew 28, one of the most famous mission passages in the scriptures, Jesus gets ready to give the Great Commission. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, Matthew 28 is where we're at. It'll also be on the screens. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. This is, what a, this is a side note to what we're talking about, but one of the um, you know, lines that we kind of fly by, these guys have seen the resurrected Christ, Right? These disciples, this is more than the 12, this is kind of the, the, the crowd that's been around him, some of his closest folks. Uh, there's a group of them on this mountainside, um, and they're about to see Jesus, who was crucified, uh, speak to them one more time, um, and then ascend up to heaven. And Matthew says that there are still some who doubt. If you are someone who wrestles with doubt, uh, you're in good company, because I think, I'm thinking, how, how could you deny who Jesus was in this situation? Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. And then he leaves. The Bible says he ascends on a cloud. And I'm sure the disciples are looking at each other and, uh, and they're thinking, hey, did, did you take notes, Matthew? Did you, did you catch that last piece that he set out there? But what did he say to go and do again? Uh, did he say go and make big churches? Uh, no. Did he say go and have, you know, denominational worship services that are perfectly aligned with my personal preferences? No. Did he say, go and uh, share those Facebook posts where they say they'll bless 20 other people if I share this with 20 of my friends? Definitely didn't say that. If you're one of those people, stop forwarding those things. <laughs> he says, go and make disciples. Go and make imitators of me. Go and help people live a life that models the others-focused life of Jesus Christ. Many of you have been part of groups uh, where you pray together and you study the Bible and you encourage each other and those are all good things. But then you go off by yourself and you try to you know, evangelize or maybe encouraged by that group. You say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna reach this person all alone. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna fight injustice by myself. Yeah? And then you get discouraged when you aren't effective. Uh, and the important thing that we need to pull from this is that Jesus never sent out his disciples by themselves. In fact, in the Gospels, when he initially sends out the disciples to do the work, to start doing things, he sends them out in pairs. He commissioned them as groups. And so in a group context, we are meant to love one another and then to be sent out together as a group to a people. The way we love each other in the, the midst of community here in this church by the grace of God should be a symbol that the gospel does change people. Jesus wants his people to be in community on mission. Not a bunch of people who are on mission all by themselves. 
You know, Jesus called his disciples to follow him on mission. He taught them the basic skills of, of making disciples while they were on mission together making disciples. It's a great teaching plan. The best training happens while on mission. You know, over the eight years or so that I was overseeing student ministries, uh, one of the things I was passionate about was taking students, taking middle school and high school students on missions trips. Um, and one of the, the you know, great things that come out of the missions trips or the, the opportunities for missions trips um, is that it has, it has a little bit to do about what you're able to bring to people. That's obviously a big part of why you go. Uh, but I always say there's a lot more that you take back with you. There's a lot more that God wants to teach you on those experiences. And for these young men and women, a lot of times they would go on these trips and they would come back and say, why can't it feel the same way? Uh, why, why can't I have the same sense of, of community and purpose when I come back to Mount Pleasant? And there's a, you know, even as we talk about this idea of being a community on mission, there's probably few places that is as, as well uh, demonstrated than on a missions trip. On a missions trip, you have a, a group of Christians who are saying, hey, we are doing this thing. We are doing this mission uh, together, focused solely. Uh, and we're saying that is the way that God designed us. That is the way that we're wired. And so doesn't it make sense that that would alight something in us? But you do not have to travel to another part of the country or another part of the world uh, to be a missionary. We are each called to be missionaries wherever we are. You know, our groups are meant to be more than just Bible studies. In fact, a lot of people will say, I want to start a Bible study. And I say, we don't do Bible studies at Community Church, which always raises the heresy flag of whoever I'm talking to. We have groups who study the Bible, but also have this full discipleship model of the way that Jesus desires for us to live in the midst of community. Our community groups are meant to be made up of spirit-led, spirit-filled people who radically reorient their lives together for the mission of making disciples. Right where they are at. We've asked every group, um, actually a couple years ago, thinking through this lens of being outward focused is probably a growth area for um, us as a church and I think for the American church. And we asked every group to have a missional focus, some outpiece that they're tangibly looking towards. Um, and I just want to share, uh, you know, just some of the stories over the last little bit that, uh, that our community groups have done. And so again, every group in this church um, is living this out on a regular basis already. Uh, we had uh, one group that just shared recently that um, the care store has become this initiative where we said we as a church, Mount Pleasant Community Church, want to do something to provide personal and household care items uh, to people in this community who are struggling to people who are struggling financially. And um, so this shared mission, we have groups who regularly collect items every single week as a regular rhythm of what they do for the care store. And together we're able to accomplish so much more than any of us would be able to individually. Our deacons in this church do an incredible ministry. Uh, and you're going to hear stories actually leading up to Christmas Eve where we're going to take a, a special offering to fund their ministry. Um, but it is incredible that anyone in this community can call our helpline. And speak to a person, speak to a deacon here at the church um, who uh, sometimes provides financial assistance in many situations or can provide development uh, help or point them in their way of resources. Um, but every person who calls is, is treated with dignity and respect. Uh, our deacons do a fantastic job, but there are so many needs that come across that sometimes they cannot meet every single one. So a community group was just sharing with me this last week uh, that they heard from a deacon about a need from a family uh, that the deacons weren't able to meet. And so this particular group, uh, they pooled money together 
Uh, they went out, they bought groceries and diapers, um, and they met the need of this family um, that, that otherwise wouldn't have been met. How incredible is that? Uh, they're a, a group uh, that just started this season, and Kids Hope is an amazing ministry where um, hundreds of mentors from this church invest in kids in local elementary schools. Um, and one of the ways that we actually share the gospel is we invite all of those mentor, mentees and their families to community church for big parties. They have one coming up this week. Um, and a new community group uh, said, you know what? They're constantly looking for donations, constantly looking for food for those parties. Um, and I'm sure the people who are planning those events are saying, okay, will we have enough? Will we be able to care for these kids uh, and make them feel like a million bucks while they're here? And this particular community group said, you know what? We're going to make our outward focus um, to cover all of the food for any of those events that are coming up. Uh, what an amazing blessing that is. My wife and I have been foster parents for the last couple years, and um, one of the, right when we became foster parents, there's an amazing ministry in this community called the, uh, the Foster Closet. Um, and a lot of times these kids, uh, they get taken out of their homes uh, without much notice. And so a lot of them come, uh, which is whatever possessions they can stick into a black uh, trash bag. And so our community group uh, put together these birthday kits and said for... Uh, anyone who comes uh, and, and, you know, is stepping in that situation of become, being a foster kid, we want them to have incredible parties. And so we put together a couple dozen uh, different birthday kits that we were able to provide to those foster families as they're coming through. Uh, one last story I want to share. There was a, a leader in this church who um, wanted to be a part of reaching out and ministering to widows in our community. Um, and she's part of a women's community group and said, would you guys do this with me? They made it their missional focus. And actually today, um, there is a luncheon happening on the other side of the church. Um, and we have about 50 or so widows from this community that are regularly connected to community um, as a result of uh, that community group saying, hey, this is something that we're going to want to do. Uh, and I don't say any of that to, to you know, toot our horn or say, you know, this is how incredible this church is. Uh, but that is what it looks like when a local church says, we want to be together on purpose. There's, there's no place that, that is better represented in this church than in our groups. And I hear stories like that, and I'm like, don't you want to be a part of something like that? Don't you want to be a part of a movement like that? We are a picture of the reality of Jesus Christ to the world. And in light of what he did for us, we should in, in turn do for others. And our power collectively together is so much greater than it would be individually. In fact, you can tell a lot about what our relationship with God is like by how our relationships are like horizontally. Do we love people uh, with, with the same sense or, or passion the way that God has loved us. In fact, Jesus said that they will know that you are his disciples. They will know that you are imitators of him by the way that you love each other. So at the beginning of 2019, um, there's going to be a new group signups. And if you've been on the fence or maybe you've been part of a group before and it was uncomfortable and you didn't, it didn't go the way you thought it would, my encouragement for you is that you would be together with us on purpose in the midst of a group community. And on our new website, if you haven't checked it out, there's some great resources out there. But uh, there is a groups page which has all sorts of information like, who wouldn't want to be in a group with these folks right here, right? Like, it's got some information about groups if you're maybe on the, on the fence or trying to find out more things about it. But an, an incredible resource that's out there uh, is a thing we have called the Group Finder. 
And this has a listing of all the community groups that are here. You can find groups that are open. Uh, we want to eliminate any barriers uh, from you being plugged into community here in the church. Um, and on that same call, there is also always a need for group leaders. And so if you want to be a disciple maker, if God has given you gifts of leadership and you want to step into that role, um, there's also a spot you can fill that out on the website as well. So be praying about that, be thinking about that. After the holiday, we will hit that uh, at the very end. But let's go back to our initial idea as we get ready to, to close. What does it take to be part of a movement? How do you be the, you know, the single drop that leads to a tidal wave? If we go back to the example of Jesus, Jesus um, gives his great commission to the disciple. Jesus ascends up to heaven. God pours out his spirit as promised on these disciples. And you can read in Acts 2.42 what the early church looked like. Let's read starting in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave to everyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see a picture of the early church. You see a picture of, of what God initially did in, that, uh, in those days following Jesus' uh, ascension up to heaven. Uh, they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. There was unity among them. They had clarity of purpose. God added to their number daily. Where those things are present, there's a movement. Jesus took a ragtag group of unqualified of, uh, you know, uh, of, of young teenagers, and he absolutely changed the world. The movement over the, of the church over the last 2,000 years has been absolutely unstoppable. Not just the countless numbers of people who've come to a saving knowledge of, of Jesus Christ, but the movements of restorations through God's people. Medical missions historically, globally, have been fueled by the church Social services, caring for the poor, caring for those who are marginalized. Throughout history, you see the church at the front of every major movement. Jesus' teachings have empowered the church to speak out against things like injustice and slavery. This is the work of God's people. This is our work to carry the message of the gospel together to every facet and corner of our society, to have community groups in this local church serving in, in different ways, carrying the message that every person matters because every person matters to God. Here's the vision. You cannot do it alone. In fact, we can't do it alone. We believe that there is one church and it's not community church. It's the church of Jesus Christ under one Lord called to one mission, one purpose together. Would you pray with me? God, we are so grateful, God, that you've chosen to use your people for the purpose of, of spreading the message of the gospel. And God, I pray that you would use this local church. God, that right now you would stir in the hearts of these men and women. God, that you would allow us to be part of a movement. God, our heart, our desire is that we would get out of the way and we'd allow you to, to make your agenda our agenda. So, Father, we pray for your empowerment. God, we pray that you would 
make us a people on fire for you. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now go.